The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The scripture for today, uh, like Dale said, is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's verses 7 through 12. If you're using one of the Bibles under the chairs, it's at page 986, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Starting in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very clear to us, dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each other, one, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. So last week we ended our series on the Gospel of Luke, and so at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we saw Jesus depart from his disciples. Uh, he gathered with them on the side of a mountain. He said, now this word is going to go forth. You guys are going to take this into all nations, and then it says that he ascended up into heaven, and they were, they were left there. But he made his wording very clear that it, he was meaning that though he was leaving the earth, that he was not finished that his work was not finished, that he had a big plan. In fact, when you think about it, it's a pretty remarkably crazy plan. Jesus is pretty much a, just a peasant teacher. He made a, a big deal, but he's not a world figure. He's not a great power. He's not rich. He's not famous outside of Palestine. He's not really a big deal at this point at all, other than, of course, that we know he's the son of God, so he's a pretty big deal. We're talking about in the world stage, and the people that followed him, they weren't big deals either. They were peasant guys. In fact, he was on the, he was on the side of the mountain, and he tells them, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ascend into heaven, and here's what you guys, you like little handful of uneducated, uh, really poor kind of dudes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take the gospel, the good news of what I have done for you on your behalf, and you're going to take that into all nations. Go for it. And he leaves, and that's the mission he leaves them. He leaves them, he has a big plan, and he leaves it. He gives his mission to his disciples, to his apostles. And that for those of you who are in this room, who are you consider yourself a disciple a, of Jesus, a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, then that mission gets passed on down the line to us as well. It's sort of like the family business. Uh, you, uh, used to, if you, uh, if you were, if your dad was a blacksmith, he would pass down the blacksmith business down to you, and you pass it down to to your kids, and, your, and they would keep on going down the line. And that business, the mission that Jesus gave us, has been passed down from year to year to year, generation to generation, from the original set of the disciples to us today. And that's what we're going to take the next three weeks to talk about. If this is the mission, if this is our mission in this room to make disciples, what does that mean? What does it look like? How does that happen? 
So we're going to take the next three weeks to talk about it. And then I'm really excited about this. After the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what is it Jesus left. He said, make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? And then beginning in June, we're going to start rolling through the book of Acts. We're going to see how his disciples went out from the side of that mountain and actually fulfilled the mission or began to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave them from the side of the mountain. So I'm really excited about it, and I hope you are too. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, the next three weeks. And the reason that we're doing that is because in this passage, Paul lays out really clearly uh, about why he was driven to give his life to make disciples and how he did it. This morning, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that making disciples must be the goal of our lives. That's going to be our biggest point. Secondly, we're going to see making disciples should be the pattern of our lives. And lastly, we're going to see that making disciples is the reward for our lives. Making disciples must be the goal of our lives. Making disciples should be the pattern of our lives. And making disciples is the reward for our life. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica because he went and planted a church in the city of Thessalonica. And he had to leave there pretty quickly because the Jews in the city uh, didn't like Paul preaching the gospel, and so they chased him out of town. And he didn't get to spend as much time there planning this church as he would normally get to spend there. And so he's been away from Thessalonica for a while, and he's been wondering, how are things going in the church? How are things going there? So he sent a messenger, messenger there to see, hey, how are things are going? Because they didn't have like FaceTime and Skype. He couldn't check in, see how things are going. They had to send a messenger there to see. The messengers come back, and now he's writing a letter to the church there to, to encourage them to not give up, to keep on going in the mission that he gave them. He's worried, though, in this letter that this church might end up beginning to drift, And so he takes some time in this section in chapter 2 to remind them of the work that 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 was put into this church by him and by the team that went and planted this church. Did you guys know that Paul didn't plant churches by himself? He actually went with teams. Dale mentioned team ministry this morning. It's the way we do things, so we think it's the biblical model. But Paul went with a team to plant the church of Thessalonica, and he's reminding the church there of all the energy and effort and work that he put into it. Not just the things that they did, but the way that they did it. If you have your Bible, you can look at chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. And we're just going to skim through and just look real quickly about what he says about the kind of work. How he planted this church. How did he share the gospel with these people? Let's start in verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. So we, we didn't come to you like... Trying to fluff you up and say nice things to you so that you would like us. We didn't come greedy. We didn't come looking for gain. Uh, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands of apostles. But listen to verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you become very dear to us. Now listen to this, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, how we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. 
He's describing to them how hard he and his team worked. They worked and toiled, it says, day and night to share the gospel with them and to do it in such a way that they wouldn't be a burden to them. So they didn't show up, preach the gospel, gather a crowd and said, all right, we're going to pass the plate now. You guys give us a lot of money so that we can live, live comfortably. And they said, no, here's what we're going to do to even take any burden away from you. We came to, to town and we had our own business. Paul was a tent maker. I'm going to make tents and I'm going to raise my own salary through making and selling tents. And I'm going to serve you at no cost to you because I don't want to be a, we didn't want to be a burden to you. We worked. So imagine what that would look like for Paul and his team. They'd gather during the day and they'd have to be, yet the, the tents don't make themselves. They have to sew these tents. Remember, no sewing machines, make them by hand, sell them in the marketplace, do the deal. And then in the evenings and weekends, he would be preaching the gospel and sharing with his young church and going out and sharing with people who yet haven't even met Jesus yet. Why would Paul and his team give so much energy and effort to share the gospel with these people in Thessalonica who they would only be with for a short amount of time. In a a month or two months from now, they're going to be leaving town, chased away, and they may knowing that they may never see them ever again. Why would they expend? Why would they toil night and day? Why would they expend so much effort, so much energy to to see that they would, to share the gospel with them? And he tells us in verse 12, this is why I did it. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, when I read Paul writing that to the church here, it makes me remember what we saw happen last week when Jesus was leaving. He said, go into all nations and preach the gospel. In Matthew, in his account of Matthew, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel in all nations, make, make disciples, training them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Paul and his team expended all that energy and all that effort to go to a city of people who they did not know had no relationships with, had no ties with, expend and toil, work night and day, it says, so they could hear the gospel and then leave months later and maybe not ever see them again because Jesus had given them the command to go into all the world and to make disciples. They expended all that energy and effort to share the gospel, to baptize them, to train them and teach them as Jesus commanded them. They went and expended all that energy and effort because it was the fulfillment of the great commission or mission that Jesus gave his people whenever he left. And if you're one of his disciples here this morning, that's the mission that we've all been given, to make disciples. So here's the question. So what does it mean to make a disciple? If, Randy, if what you're saying is true, and that is the mission that has been given to all of us as believers, and Paul went to Thessalonica and he and his team expended and worked, toiled night and day, and expended tons of energy to see the disciples were made in Thessalonica, not knowing that they would be rushed out of town months later and may never even see them again. All right, if that's true, like, What does it mean for me to make disciples, and how can I do it because I'm not like the Apostle Paul? 
I'm not as smart or talented and gifted as he is. What does it mean to make a disciple? Well, first of all, whenever the people in this time would hear the word disciple, we hear it and we picture lots of different things in this room, right? If you have any history in church, when you hear the word disciple, you might picture somebody wearing a bathrobe, walking around following Jesus, or somebody like you've seen in a play wearing a bathrobe that was following Jesus. You might picture uh, a, a sort of a certain program or class that you've been in that was called a discipleship class or discipleship program. But what does it mean to be a disciple? When they would have heard this word, they would have pictured something that would have been not just have to do with church. To be a disciple meant to be a student of somebody. It meant that you have met someone whose pattern of life you admired or you saw that they were wiser or further along the path than you were, and you subjected yourself to them as a student of them. And you would follow them around in their life, and you would learn to live the life the way that they lived their life. They would teach you, not just in a classroom setting, that they would do that as well, but they would teach you through life what it meant to be a disciple of theirs, what it meant to live life in the way that they lived. A disciple means more than simply being a subject of a ruler. So, so if you're born a citizen of the United States of America, you're a subject or a citizen of the United States, and you are subject to the laws and rules of the land. You didn't make yourself a subject. You just happened to be born or happened to live here under this rule. But if you make yourself a disciple of somebody, you are willingly subjecting yourself under that person. You're saying this person has a way of life, knowledge, a wisdom to the way that they live that I need to gain, and I'm going to subject myself underneath them so that I can hear and learn what they have to teach me so I can live life the way that they do. It's a willing and attentive subjugation. I'm willingly subjugating myself or putting myself under the tutelage or the teaching of somebody else. It's learning about life and following Jesus and what he says and what he does. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a willing subject, a willing student of Jesus, subjecting yourself to him to follow in what he says and what he does. Uh, we've made a, a simple definition of what a disciple is here at Doxa. I'm going to sh- share with you guys, and look, at there it is, already on the screen. Good job putting that on the screen before I needed it, but pictures weren't there. (laughs) Intern. That's going to be a good meeting this week. So we have a simple definition of what a disciple is that helps us to boil it down a little bit. A disciple is learning to worship Jesus in every area of life. A disciple is learning, that's the learning aspect, To worship Jesus, to worship somebody means to place highest value upon them. Learning to worship Jesus with every area of my life. How do I worship Jesus in the way that I'm a husband to my wife or a father to my children or an employer or an employee? How do I worship Jesus as a neighbor? How do I worship Jesus in the way that I handle my finances? How do I worship Jesus in the way that I handle my career? How do I worship Jesus in the way I handle my romantic relationships? That's what it means to learn, to be a disciple. It means to be in a process of learning what it means to worship Jesus with every area of my life. 
Now that begins when God awakens a heart to see their need for him. And he frees them to bow their knee to him in loving worship and submission. You, be, you become a disciple. It's not finished yet. It's a process. But you become a disciple. You begin the process whenever God awakens your heart to see your need for him. And he frees you to bow your knee to him in loving worship and submission to him. That's when that begins. It's sort of like when you are born. When a child is born, that life has begun. But they have a lot to learn about what it means to be a human, but that life has already begun. But that life has to be there in order to grow. And so that's the first thing that has to happen for somebody to become a disciple. So in order to do that, then that means that if we're called to make disciples, it means that we need to find ways to share with the people who are around us in our life who don't, don't yet know him as their personal Lord and Savior. It means that I position and pattern my life in such a way, which we're going to talk about in a minute, that is focused on how can I help the people around me, my neighbors, my coworkers, my family members, my friends, the people I work out with, if I worked out, which I need to, but <laughs> the people I more likely eat well with, like, how do I figure out a way to help them to see the beauty that I have seen in the face of Jesus Christ? That's the first step to, to that. But then it doesn't end there. Just like that baby is born and then they have to mature and grow, a disciple has to mature and grow. So when we talk about making disciples, it's a process that involves somebody before they become a believer, through when they first become a believer, and helping them to grow into a mature believer. That's what Paul said when he said in verse 12 that, uh, that we exhorted and encouraged each one of you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's learning to grow in the pattern of life that Jesus called us to. It's learning to worship Jesus in every area of my life. Now, I'm getting ready to throw a lot of information on the screen, and um, I don't have a lot of time to talk about all of it, but I just wanted to show you guys um, that we, so when you, when we talk about what does it mean to grow as a disciple, once we become a believer, what does it mean to grow as a disciple? We've uh, made two lists of character traits and competency traits the disciple has. First of all, these are the character traits of a disciple. You can see them on the screen behind me. First of all, uh, I love it. When something, you're not used to stuff being on the screen, and when somebody puts something on the screen behind me, you guys are like, oh, something's on the screen. I see all your eyes jump. It's like I've been sitting here looking at my phone for, for 20 minutes. There's a screen. I've got to look at it. Here are the character traits of a disciple. A disciple, first of all, finds joy in submission to God. They don't submit to God out of, out of gritting your teeth because you have to. A disciple finds joy in bowing their knee and following what Jesus says to do and how he says to do it. Secondly, a disciple loves God because he first loved them. You love God because you see the love that he has shown you in so many ways, but primarily and most greatly through the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, that he sent his son to die for you and for me, and he rose again on our behalf. 
A disciple loves others unconditionally. That's a big call, isn't it? A disciple can love other people, people who treat us wrongly unconditionally because we are so filled with the love of God that he loves, with, he loves us with unconditionally. A disciple discovers peace and humility. Do you know how much energy and nervous, uh, nervous energy that we expel trying to convince ourselves and the people around us that we're awesome? The gospel frees us to not have to be awesome in ourselves. Jesus was awesome on our behalf. And so I can discover the peace that it means to live life in utter humility, accepting just who I am and all my dirt baldness, all my dirt baggery, and find humility there. A disciple rejects ungodly impulses. A disciple perseveres no matter what. These are competencies of a disciple. These are things that a disciple does and learns to do. These are skills. First of all, a disciple studies to grow. We don't just study the Bible uh, just to fill our heads with knowledge and get smarter. We study because that's God's word and we know that it's gonna help us to grow. And if I just fill my head and my life doesn't begin to look more and more like Jesus, then something's disconnecting in my heart. I study hard. I wanna know the Bible. I read it daily. I'm learning more about it. I'm going to classes. I'm doing whatever I have to do in order to learn and grow because I'm doing it because I want to grow as a believer. I wanna grow in the character of Jesus A disciple passes on good news. A disciple seeks to heal the sick. It's not from our own power. That means means whether in practical ways that we care for those who are sick and in praying for their healing, that God would move in a powerful and supernatural way to heal them. A disciple seeks to heal the sick. A disciple shares with those who need. A disciple gives till it hurts. Again, do you know how we can give till it hurts? Because Jesus did, right? That's the only way that we find the energy and power to do that. And that has been our legacy as Christians. As Christians throughout history have been those who have given till it hurt them personally. They gave and sacrificed willingly and joyfully because they had a secret treasure that the people around them did not know about. And it has, throughout the centuries, left people who do not know Jesus with their mouths open and aghast and wondering what is going on. A disciple serves others happily. Now, whether we recognize it or not, this is the goal, the goal to make disciples, to see people be awakened to their need for him, to be born again, and then to help people grow in their relationship with him, to grow in these character traits and competency traits that we just talked about. That is the goal that God has given us. But I don't know about you, but I have a lot of shadow goals in my life. Even if, I, if you were to ask me, hey, Randy, what are you about in life? I'd say, I love Jesus, and he's called me to go in all the world and preach the gospel. Not all of us would say that, but I would say that. But a lot of us have... We have stated goals, and then we have shadow goals. We have things that 
I like to think that I am about, but in my day-to-day life, it shows that I'm not really about that. Right? Like some of us, like we look in the mirror and we say, hey, I'm about like getting healthy and I'm going to watch what I eat and I'm going to go to the gym. But then if you follow us, me, I follow us in our day-to-day life, it doesn't always match. We have shadow goals, unstated goals that creep in upon what our real goals should be. So we as Christians have to look at our lives and say, if this is the goal that God has given me, if this is the goal that God has given us, then what goal am I really looking, working towards and looking towards in my life? What does it look like for making disciples to be the great mission of our lives? What does that look like in your life and my life? Does it look like, like I have to, does that mean if, if the great mission that God has given me as a disciple is to go and make disciples, does that look like, then that means like I always have to be teaching a class or I always have to be studying the Bible or I always have to be meeting with somebody to lead them through? Is that, is that what that looks like? I always have to be in church every single day? What does it look like to make disciples and to make that the great mission of our life? What it looks like is it means making disciples should be the end goal at the end of all of our other goals. It should be the end for which, for every single thing that we do, the way that I work, my education, my recreation, my family life, all of that should be pointing towards the mission of making disciples. So if this is the goal, if this is the great goal of our lives, the goal that Jesus has given us to make disciples, then what does that look like? I say making disciples should be the pattern of our life. Making disciples should be the pattern of our lives. We see this in Paul. Look at the, Think about the description that we just read in this passage. Paul, Paul's description of how he gave his life to make disciples encompasses all of life. Making disciples wasn't a task that he did like mowing the lawn or washing the dishes and like I did that and now I move on to something else. Making disciples was the, it enveloped every single thing that he did. It encompassed all of his life. So if making disciples should be the great goal, the great mission of our lives, then everything that we do with our lives should be intentional. Everything we do in our life should be intentionally thought through to see how do I leverage this part of my life to make disciples. Because just like a lot of things in life, it doesn't happen accidentally. When, when Megan and I, when we decided where we were going to build the house that we live in now, we, we looked at several different places. But we chose the place where we decided to live because it was near Coastal, which is an unreached campus. And I wanted to be near Coastal because God, I said, God, I don't know how you'll use me or what you'll do, use us for, but God, somehow you have to use us to reach Coastal and I'm gonna move near Coastal so that I can at least be near there so you can help me leverage it. We, we wanted to be in Carolina Forest because it was a growing area and we wanted to be where people were where people were moving in, many from the Northeast who do not yet know Jesus Christ, we wanted to be where they were going to be. Do you think about your life intentionally like that? Where you eat, where you shop. Like, is, is there, is there a, 
a waiter or a waitress or somebody at the coffee shop that you go to that like there's an you develop a natural friendship with this, hey, I'm gonna be intentional about making sure that I go there when they're there so I can be a friend to them and love them and care for them. And I'm gonna be intentional about setting up my life in such a way so that I have room or margin in my life so that I can leverage my life to make disciples. People who do not yet know him and young, younger Christians in the faith to help them grow. All that we should do should be intentional and should, it should be strategic. How and where we work and live should be pointed towards the purpose of making disciples. One of the elders here is uh, Jonathan. And I love to hear he's an attorney. And I love to hear him talk about how he has set up his practice in such a way he could work harder, or he works hard, but he could work harder at his practice. He could work longer hours and make more money, but he wouldn't have the room in order to make disciples. And he said, I'm gonna set my life up in such a way that I have time to actually meet with people and guide them and help them and lead them. All that we do should be intentional. It should be strategic. And it should be sacrificial. Paul lived a life sacrificially. His life would have been far easier if he had not given it to make, make disciples. Jonathan's life would be far easier if he didn't, wasn't devoting his life to making disciples. And frankly, my life would be easier in a lot of ways if I wasn't devoted to making disciples. But we're going to get to it in a minute, and I want to cheat ahead, but it would be far less rewarding. Paul sacrificed his life to make disciples, and I wonder if you met Paul at the end of his life, if he would say, I wish I had dedicated less of my life to making disciples and more of my life to my stamp collection or make, put more money in my bank account. I don't think he regretted it at all. No person that I know that has devoted their life to making disciples gets to the end and say, hey, I really regret making all those sacrifices in my life. In fact, they almost always say, I wish I had sacrificed more. All that we do, if making disciples is our great mission, then we, it should be the pattern of our lives so that all that we do should be intentional, it should be strategic, it should be sacrificial, and then it should be authentic and vulnerable. Paul shares with them in this passage how he was authentic and real and vulnerable with them. He says, we shared the gospel with you in much affliction. We should be real and vulnerable in our love for Jesus and real and vulnerable with each other in our defects. We won't grow as disciples and we won't help people grow as disciples if we're always putting on a fake face about our life. Most of all, all that we do should be motivated by a deep love and affection. Paul said in verse seven, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. In verse eight, he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. And then verse 11, he says, for you know how like a father with his children. Notice the the love, the deep love and affection that he had for them and how he shared with them. What we're talking about is not some programs and meetings that you have to add to your life in order to make disciples. 
we're talking about incorporating Jesus's great mission, which is your great mission and my great mission as well. It means it's, we're talking about incorporating his mission into the way that we live our life. So the question is, on this, is how can I make the life that I'm living intentional? That should be something that you should leave here, a question that you should be asking yourself, we should all be asking ourselves. How can I make the life that I'm living intentionally directed towards the purpose of making disciples? How can I, how can I do this with my, and think about them specifically, my neighbors. I'm thinking about my neighbors right now. Thinking about my coworkers, thinking about the, the people that are in my community group, the people that I meet with here on Sunday mornings. Like, how can I leverage my life and make it intentional so that with my neighbors and coworkers and friends and family, that I can devote my life to make disciples, to help them become a disciple and then grow as a disciple? How can I pattern and teach the life of a disciple to the people who are around me who are at different stages. These are intentional, strategic questions we should be thinking about in your workplace and in your home. How, how can I pattern my life so that I can teach and train and show people what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Because that happens in some ways, and you actually sitting down and sharing the gospel with people, but it also happens in you patterning a life to people around you of what it looks like. There, there was a man who, uh, very, very dear to me, he was my mentor in lots of ways, and I worked with him. And so I would watch him, and he would, whenever he would see me watching, he would explain what he was doing. He would show me, this is how I love my wife really well. He would show me how he was a father to his children and how that worked. And I watched him and learned from him what that looked like. And hopefully, I've incorporated a lot of those things into my life. We're going to be talking about more about how we do that in the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to leave that some meat on that bone for both Jonathan and Justin. Making disciples must be the goal of our lives. It should be the pattern of our lives. And lastly, making disciples is the reward for our life. I want you to think about this and just stick with me for just a minute. Making disciples is the reward for our life. So what we're seeing here is that the, the mission that God gave us to make disciples is a wide-ranging mission, and it's a big goal that incorporates all of our lives. And when you hear that, it may feel a little daunting and intimidating, some of you are sitting here in this room, and I, I know, because I would be thinking the same thing. I feel so exhausted at the end of each day, I can't imagine putting one more thing on my plate, even though what you're saying, I feel like, like that's, that makes sense. That should be the goal of my life, to make disciples, but I don't know how I can put one more thing on my plate, especially this big. Some of us in this room are overwhelmed because we don't think we have the abilities or the training. When I talked about how do you uh, share the gospel with a non-believer, or how do you help a younger believer grow in their faith? You're like, I don't know how to do that. I don't feel like I have the gifts and tools in order to do that, or the personality to do that. And some of us in this room, let's just be honest, you're not even, sh like, you don't even want to try. You're like, when he's done, 
we're going to sing a couple songs and have communion, and I'm going to go get lunch, and I'm not going to do what he's, I have no intention to do what he says. So like when Dale invites me to start cycling with him, and, he, and I'm like, I listen to him very kindly and smiling, and I'm thinking in my head, I have no intention to do this, Dale. And you're thinking that. But let's look at what stirred, other than the fact that he was the great apostle Paul, but remember, the apostles had no special powers. Was it, what was it that stirred Paul to live this kind of sacrificial life? To toil night and day. And to live his life intentionally with a pattern pointed towards making disciples. Look at, if you have your Bible, at verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2. For what is our hope or joy or crown of, bo- of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul's saying that the people that he's been a part of leading to Jesus and training them to follow him will be his crown, his glory, his joy when Jesus returns. That will be his boast. Jesus won't ask him, though there's nothing against making money and building a business and having a great family, but Jesus won't ask him, hey, how much money did you end up with? How many businesses did you start? He'll stand before Jesus and he'll present the people that he had a part in leading to the Lord and training to be disciples before Jesus Christ on the day. He says, you will be my boast on that day. You will be the crown and the joy of my life. You will be my life's work, my masterpiece on that day. That's the goal beyond every other goal for Paul, and I pray that it would become the goal beyond every other goal for us. It's what makes it all worthwhile. What will we have to show for our lives on that day when we face Jesus face to face? What will we have to boast in? What will be your joy? What What will be your glory? It will be the people. It'll be the people that you sacrificed and loved whenever they didn't even realize how much you loved them and how you were sacrificing for them. It'll be the people that we've been vulnerable and authentic with, that we were shared our deepest struggles with them so that they could see that we were struggling and we could help them in their struggles. It'll be the people that we've taken time to pass on what we have found and what we have been taught in Jesus. Our fellow brothers and our sisters will be our joy and our glory on that day. A couple in our community group, just like a lot of couples right now in our church, just had a baby, Tamara and Jason Grice. And I've never been pregnant. I think that probably goes without saying. But it seems to be like something that's pretty hard. It seems to be something that, like for all the perks of carrying a life inside you, that there's some things that are not all that great about it. My wife slept the last two or three months of her pregnancy sitting up in bed because she had a heartburn so bad she couldn't sleep. My mother complains that her ribs still hurt from where I would kick her and my foot got lobbed up, lodged up in there whenever I was uh, inside her. And then labor itself. I just don't even want to think about how that happens. 
that baby comes out of where? I don't mean to scare any of you ladies that are pregnant right now, but that just is just the craziest thing to me. That sounds terrible. And yet, I've never met a woman who just had a baby, who was holding that baby in her arms, who wasn't smiling and shining because that baby was her glory and her joy. That baby was her boast at that moment. And all the uncomfortability for all those weeks and months of pregnancy and all that uncomfortability for those maybe hours of labor and delivery, all of a sudden just didn't seem to be a very big deal anymore. They are holding the life, a new life in their arms. Can you imagine what it would feel like to stand before your Savior and my Savior on that day? and see the people lined up around us who say, hey, this person had a role in me becoming a believer. This person had a role in me growing as a believer. And I went out and made other disciples too. And you see like down the line, down the line, a person I discipled and a person they discipled and a person they discipled. Man, I, I think it would make all the sacrifice pale in comparison on that, on that day. Let's make making disciples the great mission of our lives. Let's make it the pattern of our lives because we know it's going to be the great reward for our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the daunting and great mission that you've given us to make disciples. God, many of us, including me, we have shadow missions in our lives. We've given ourselves to all kinds of other ends, all kinds of other purposes, all kinds of other goals, all kinds of other missions. But I pray that you would help us as a people as we think over the next three weeks and we pray and we assess our lives to, to figure out what it means, excuse me, what it means in each of our lives to leverage those lives, leverage our time, attention, and resources to the purpose of making disciples. Would you show us how we can incorporate that into our workplaces, into our family life? God, I pray that you would help us a year from now when we look back, we would see much richer lives that are given to the great purpose of making disciples who joyfully worship you with their whole lives. Father, would you let us be a, a church that on that great day when you return, would have a lot to boast about. Not because of our greatness, but because of your greatness through us and your faithfulness and your power to make disciples. Would you let that be our great joy and our great glory on that day? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.